Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 37 through 44. And you will find those verses uh, on page 870 if you are using uh, one of the Pew Bibles. Last Sunday, our focus was on Jesus' charge in verse 35, a charge to be careful, to be careful that we walk in the light. And you will remember that that charge was really the climax of the previous narrative, a a narrative that began with Jesus casting out a mute spirit in verse 14. And in the aftermath of that miracle, Jesus taught the crowd, and He taught those who were listening in, and that includes us. He, He taught us that if you are not with Him, you are against Him. There is no third option. There is no neutral ground. You are either with Him or you are against Him. But more than that, not only did He teach us that uh, to be, uh, you were either with Him or against Him, He taught us that uh, the decision of whether you're going to stand with Him or against Him is the most important decision that we will ever face. It is a decision that has eternal consequences. So right in the middle of that narrative, Jesus showed us what He means by being with Him. He showed us that, that being with Him is not merely a matter of, of having your life put in order by His Word. It's not merely a, a matter of having family ties. But rather to be with Him, to be truly blessed, one must hear the Word of God and keep it. Well, this morning in the narrative before us, Jesus is going to continue to expand on that idea. He's going to continue to teach us what does it mean to hear the Word and to keep it. And in particular, He's going to show us that hearing and keeping the Word of God is not something we merely do externally, but it's something we do with our hearts. And so let us look at Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 37. This is the very Word of God. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within. Behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. For you love the best seat in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon our study here this morning. Father God, you tell us that your Word will not return empty. You tell us that your gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And so, Father God, we ask that you would be at work through your word here this morning. That you would grant to those who hear faith and repentance. And that you would thereby work salvation. That you would 
Unite those to Christ who do not yet know Him. And that those who do know Him, Father, that You would build them up more and more in their faith. That we might be a light set on a hill for all to see and give praise to Your name. Father, this is our request, and we make it boldly in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. In His name and for His name's sake we pray. Amen. I once heard of a young man who owned an old classic Cadillac. And it was one of those big old boats, you know, with the big fins on the back. And he loved that car. And he took care of that car religiously. He, he, he washed it and he waxed it regularly. He, he vacuumed out the interior. He even polished the vinyl seats. He loved that car. But he didn't know much about it. As a car, and so he neglected some of the more basic maintenance recommendations. He, he never changed the oil, he never changed any of the other fluids, and so while that car remained pristine on the outside, eventually it died. Cleaning the outside of a car does not make the inside clean. A nicely washed and waxed exterior does not mean the engine is going to continue running smoothly. It just doesn't work that way. The outside of a car can be pristine while the inside is utterly polluted. I want to suggest to you that that is a picture of the lesson that Jesus has for us in these verses. Our story begins with an invitation accepted. In verse 37, we are told that while Jesus was speaking, so this immediately falls on the the heels of what we just heard, just as as Jesus was still speaking to them about the, the need to be careful, about the need to decide whether you're with him or against him, a Pharisee invites him to dinner. A Pharisee invites him to come and, and eat his, at his house, and Jesus accepts the invitation. And we have to wonder about the motivation behind that invitation. In the Gospels, we see those who come to Jesus because they think He is the Messiah. Remember Andrew going to find his brother Simon and saying, Come, we have found the Christ. There are those who come and they come to Jesus. And they come to, to follow Jesus because they know that He is the Anointed One. He is the Savior. But there are others who come to Jesus simply because He's a wonder worker. There are others who come to Jesus simply because they want to see One of these signs they've heard so much about. I I think of Herod wanting to see Jesus perform a miracle. This was probably the motivation of a great many in the crowds that followed Jesus. But there were still others in the crowd who came to Jesus in order to test Him, in order to expose Him. They didn't like the fact that the crowds were going after this rabbi that wasn't one of them. And so they set out to expose him as a false teacher. They, they set out to show that he wasn't really a teacher sent by God. And it would seem, at least from the events that unfold, that this Pharisee is in that last category. This man is not inviting Jesus to dinner because he wants to learn from him. He is not inviting Jesus to dinner because he thinks that he is a a teacher sent from God, but rather he is inviting him in order to expose him. He is inviting in order to show that he is a fraud, a false teacher in Israel. But it's interesting that Jesus accepts the man's invitation anyway. Jesus knows what's going on. He, He knows this man's motivation, and yet he still goes. I think there are at least two lessons we can learn from Jesus' acceptance of this man's invitation. 
First, Jesus is not afraid of being exposed. He's not afraid of, of being exposed of one who, who stands upon the gospel that he preaches. Like Paul later, he is not ashamed of the truth. There are people today in every generation who are embarrassed of the groups they are a part of or the groups that they are not a part of. There are students who are ashamed of not being on a particular sports team or of being a member of a particular club. They don't really want people to know. They enjoy those things. They, they want to be a part of those things, but they don't really want it to be made public because they know that people will mock them. Christians are sometimes like that. Christians sometimes don't want to be known as those who stand with Christ. They, they don't want their co-workers or their neighbors or their, or their friends to know that they go to one of those churches that really believe the Bible. They don't want people to know that they, they stand with others who, who take the Bible seriously, who thinks this is actually the Word of, of God. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was not afraid of being exposed as one who stood in the light. And I want to suggest to you this morning that His example, His boldness is an example for us. We ought not to fear being exposed because we stand with Jesus. We ought not to fear those who would mock us. We ought not to fear looking silly, because in the fact, we are the ones who stand on the truth. We are the ones who, who stand in the light. And if you're standing on the truth, you never need to be afraid of those who claim to be wise. You may not be able to answer all their questions. You may not be able to rebuff all of their attacks, but you do not need to be ashamed that you stand on the truth. We can stand boldly. We have no need to be ashamed. And Jesus was willing to go even into the house of one who was determined to expose him without fear. But Jesus' willingness to go and dine with this Pharisee also reminds us of our calling to love even our enemy. Jesus' love for people, even those people who were determined to harm him, means that he is ready at every opportunity to speak the truth. Jesus never wastes an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And again, I want to suggest to you this ought to be an example for us. Just because we think a person is not ready to hear does not mean that we should not speak. I'm not suggesting that every conversation needs to be an evangelistic encounter. That's not it at all. I don't believe that. But when an opportunity presents itself, we should not remain silent because we think that the other person is not open to the truth. We should not decide whether they're going to get to hear the gospel or not. We should not say, well, you know, they're really not the kind of person who would, who would be interested in this. The truth is we don't know what the Holy Spirit will do with the word of God faithfully spoken. Maybe the person you're speaking to isn't open, but maybe others in the crowd are listening in. And so we can be bold to speak the truth, even to those who don't seem to want to hear it when the opportunity presents itself. These are the lessons we learn just from Jesus accepting this man's invitation. But the real point of this passage is revealed after Jesus gets to the party. Look with me at verse 38. We're told that the Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. I'm guessing there are a few here who have been gently rebuked by their mother for not washing their hands. My boys will regularly come in from playing in the outside with the, the dirty basketball or on the dirty trampoline or in the dirty grass or, or some other place, and, and they will sit down for dinner ready to eat. And Sarah will have to ask them, did you wash your hands? Well, why would I do that? 
Why would I need to wash my hands? And, and what we have to understand here is that the Pharisee's not concerned about washing hands because he's concerned about hygiene. He's not concerned about washing hands for the same reason that your, your mother is. Your mother wants you to wash your hands so that you don't get yourself sick or anybody else sick by sharing your germs. But what the Pharisee's concerned about is something other than germs. What the Pharisee's concerned about here is ritual cleanliness. Remember, in the Old Testament, to be unclean was to be unfit for fellowship with God. It was to be unfit for fellowship with His people. When you were unclean, you were excluded from the corporate worship of God's people. When you were unclean, sometimes you were even excluded from fellowship with the fellow saints. And so to be unclean is to be excluded from communion and union with God. And so this Pharisee is concerned about this cleanliness because he wants to maintain his fellowship with God. He wants to make sure that he's the kind of person who can have communion with the God of Israel. That seems like a pretty good motive, doesn't it? Why in the world then would would Jesus neglect this ritual? If washing your hands was about having communion with God, why would Jesus against it. Why would Jesus refuse to wash his hands before he ate? Well, of course, Jesus has a lesson to teach and he wants to show this Pharisee and he wants to show those who are sitting around the table and he wants to show all who are listening in on this story. He wants to show us that true cleanliness is not a matter of external ritual, but rather a matter of of the heart. Notice, as soon as the Pharisee notices what Jesus has done, as soon as this Pharisee notices that Jesus has sat down at the table without washing his hands, as soon as he is astonished, Jesus goes on the offensive. He doesn't even give the man a, ta- a chance to ask a question, but immediately he just begins to point out what the Pharisee is doing. Verse 39, he says, And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish. You're, you're concerned about cleanliness. Not only do you wash your hands, not only had they ceremonially cleansed their hands, but they had ceremonially cleansed everything at the table. They, they had cleansed the, the cups and the, and the dishes. Elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel, we're told that they even cleansed the couches. Everything in the room had been ceremonially cleansed, but yet Jesus says, but you're not clean because inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Greed is that desire for self, that that self-promotion, that self-concern that puts your interests before everyone else's, that thinks every good thing ought to be yours. And the word that Jesus uses for wickedness here is really just the other side of the coin. It it is often translated as as malice. It's a a disregard for the good of others. So greed is this sort of all-consuming concern for your own good. Malice or, or wickedness is a disregard for the good of others. And Jesus is saying, listen, for all of your concern about cleanliness, you are neglecting the most basic elements of the law. How is the law summed up? Paul tells us in Romans 13 that the love of your neighbor is the the sum of the law. It is in loving your neighbor as yourself that you keep the law and show that you love God with all your heart. But Jesus says, no, you are full of greed and malice. You promote yourself and you forget everyone else. And so while you are ceremonially clean, you are in fact unclean. While you are clean on the outside, your hearts are full 
of wickedness. And he gives us several examples of this in the verses that follow. One of the, not only were they concerned about washings, but they, they were also concerned about tithing. They were scrupulous tithers, Jesus tells us. They, they gave a 10% of everything to the Lord. Now the truth is, most Christians today do not tithe. Most Christians do not give a tenth of, of what they get to the Lord. And those that do, they, they are concerned about whether they're supposed to tithe on the gross or whether they're supposed to tithe on the net. Do you have to include your benefits? These are the questions that we wrestle with. But for them, those were not questions. They tithed on everything. They even tithed on their herb garden. If they got a tomato, they, they brought it. Uh, if they got ten tomatoes out of their garden, they brought one into the church. They would not pick up a dime off the ground without giving a penny. They were tithers. They gave scrupulously to the church. And not only did they give, but they attended. They were faithful attenders, always taking the best seats. They, were, they wanted to be down front where everyone could see them. Now, I know that's hard for some of us to believe, that the seats down front were considered the best seats. But, but those were the best seats. And those were the best seats because that's where you could be seen. That's where everyone else could know that you were there. And they were there regularly. They never missed. They attended faithfully. Not only did those best seats mean that they were attenders, it also meant that they were the leaders. They were the, they were the elders and the deacons and the ushers and the, the Sunday school teachers. They were the ones who were volunteering. They were the ones who were doing the work. You've heard that 80-20 rule, you know, that, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Well, they were that 20%. They were the ones who were doing the work. And so, in all these ways, the the Pharisees put on full display their righteousness. They they showed that they were God's kind of people. They they, they commended themselves to God. They, They showed themselves to be clean. But Jesus says their cleanliness was only skin deep. Notice what He says. He says they tithe. But they neglect justice and the love of God. Justice is that concern for your neighbor's good. In the Old Testament, justice is an expression of love for neighbor. To be unconcerned for justice was to be willing to have your neighbor harmed in order to protect your Self. And that was the Pharisees. They, they tied their herbs, but they didn't care much about their neighbor's Good. They weren't concerned about the oppressed or the, the marginalized. They, they weren't concerned about the widow or the orphan. They didn't care about the servant who was treated unjustly by his master. They simply didn't care about the good of others as so long as they maintained their ritual purity. It's probably the motivation of the, the Pharisee and the Levite who, who walked by on the other side of the, Samar- of the man beaten and left half dead in the street. They weren't concerned about him. They were concerned about their own purity. And Jesus says God is not impressed. This utter disregard for justice showed that the Pharisees' understanding of cleanliness was was merely external. For them, the law was not a blueprint for loving others well. It was not a way to express their love for God, but it was rather a way to display their own goodness and to obligate God To bless them. And so what does Jesus say? He says they're fools. He says they're fools. Do they really think that such external righteousness is what God is after? Did not He who made the outside make the inside 
also, it ought to be self-evident that God gave you these external rituals as teaching tools to show you that He requires righteousness, not to be the righteousness that He requires. That's why those ceremonies went away when the real thing came. They were shadows fulfilled in Christ. They were, God was never concerned about the rituals. In fact, He will say it through His prophets. He says, is it not better to obey than to sacrifice? Is not mercy better than ritual stringency? The Old Testament prophets said that. Jesus isn't making up something new here. The the cleanliness laws were always meant to point to the requirement of a clean heart. And so Jesus says to these Pharisees, you ought to know better. You are fools. It is utterly foolish to clean the outside and leave the inside dirty. And so therefore, Jesus points out the consequences of this foolishness. Three times he says, woe to you Pharisees. Now woe is not a word we use a lot today, but it's the opposite of blessed. We're familiar with the Beatitudes. We're we're familiar with Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And when we hear those those types of sayings, when we hear that type of language, we understand that that blessed means something like happy because favored by God. These are the people who who have true uh, lasting joy, the solid joys and the lasting pleasures that the scriptures speak about because they are are favored by God. But woe is just the opposite of that. Woe is a a person who has brought sorrow upon his own head, is a person who is undone. It It is a person who has reason to despair Because he is not favored by God, but he is hated. God regards his righteousness as an abomination. Jesus is saying that these Pharisees are to be pitied because they have made themselves the enemies of God. These rituals do not commend them to God, but just the opposite because they are mere rituals. Because they are rituals separated from internal reality, they are a stench in God's Nostrils, because they are not accompanied by true righteousness, by by true mercy. God hates them. He, He hates these things. He says, if you will tithe your herbs while neglecting justice, then you will fall under my condemnation and wrath. But it's not only the Pharisees who are under God's condemnation. It is also those who follow them. Notice what Jesus says in verse 44. He says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Now in our day, we're not real familiar with this idea, so we don't really get what's the big deal about an unmarked grave. What's the big deal about walking over a grave and we not knowing it. But you have to remember that in Old Testament Israel, to come in contact with the dead was was To make yourself unclean. And that included walking over a grave. And this is why the tombs in that day were regularly whitewashed. They were whitewashed to make them visible. It was was the closest thing they had to neon. This was the neon sign that said, hey, here's a grave. Don't walk here. Don't come here unless you want to become unclean. But Jesus is saying these Pharisees, they are like graves. They are making people unclean. But not only are they making people unclean, They are making people unclean when they don't even know it. They are like unmarked graves. People think that by following the Pharisees and by uh, following their teaching, they are actually commending themselves to God, but it's just the opposite. In fact, elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that when the Pharisees made a disciple, they made him twice the son of hell that that they were. 
because they thought that they were now right with God. But they were not. They had been inoculated. They had been deceived. They they thought that they were okay. But in fact, they still stood under God's condemnation. And so Jesus points out what the Pharisees are doing. He points out the foolishness of what they are doing. He points out the consequences of what they are doing. And when we hear what Jesus has to say, it has two profound implications for us. First, we must not think like the Pharisees. We, we must not think that cleansing the outside will clean the inside. We must not think that external conformity to a certain standard is what the Christian life is all about. That this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We must not think that, that external obedience is what keeping and hearing the Word of God is all about. We can be the kind of people who wash. Maybe we don't wash richly today, but, but we say our prayers before we eat. You can, you can be the kind of person who will, who will not even eat a snack out of the cupboard without saying a, a prayer of thanks first. You can be a, a tither, someone who tithes not only on the net, but on the, the gross. You can be someone who attends church faithfully and regularly, someone who is never willing to miss. And you can even be one of the 20%. You can be among the leaders, those who are doing the work. And those things are important. Those things ought not to be neglected, but they are not the essence of the Christian life. These things do not make you one of Jesus' disciples. They can be expressions of a clean heart, but they don't make a heart clean. And so not only must we not think like the Pharisees, but rather we must not teach others to think like the Pharisees. Whoever you are here this morning, you have been called to help others grow towards maturity in Christ. Some of you are parents. You've been called to instruct your children in the instruction instruction and discipline of the Lord. Some of you are friends. You've been called to to be an encouragement to your friends. Some of you have co-workers who don't know Christ. And you have the opportunity to, to share with them the gospel. And may we not be like the Pharisees. May we not teach others that if you'll just bring your life in line with these rules, then you'll be in. But if external conformity is not the essence of discipleship, if this is not how we make ourselves clean, what is? What is the remedy? What is the true path? What does it truly mean to to hear the Word of God and keep it? Look what Jesus says in verse 41. He says, Give as alms those things that are within And behold, everything is clean for you. This is Jesus' description of what it means to hear the Word and keep it. This is how Jesus unpacks it. It's not mere external conformity. But it is rather giving as alms those things that are within. If you do that, then everything will be clean for you. And I'm sure that's just crystal clear as to what that means. So we can just move on, right? No. What does that mean? What is he talking about? What does it mean to give as alms those things that are within? Well, let's try to unpack it uh, phrase by phrase. First, what are the things that are within? And there are really two options in the text. First, Jesus might be talking about the things that he has just said are inside the Pharisees. In, In verse 39, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Inside you are full of greed and Wickedness, And so Jesus might, when he be, be talking about greed and wickedness when he speaks about those things that are within. 
The other possibility is that, is that Jesus is talking about the things that are inside a, a man more generally, that he's, he's simply talking about your heart. He's, he's saying, you know, there's, there's external behavior, but really there's a, there's a heart issue that's going on. And what I'm talking about is that heart. So if you go with the first reading, if you, if you think that Jesus is talking about greed and wickedness, then think about what giving alms, giving as alms, must mean. If he's talking about greed and wickedness, then giving as alms must be a, a, a picture of, of giving away, of, of sacrificing, of, of giving up, of setting aside. It's the same language that Paul uses elsewhere. He says, put these things off. Put them away. Have nothing to do with them. And so Jesus isn't talking about literally giving alms. He's, he's using the image of giving alms because when you give something, you don't have it anymore. You, you give it up. And Jesus is saying, give those things up. Put off those sins that are making you unclean. Put away greed. Put away malice. The other option, of course, is that he's talking not just about those particular sins, but about everything that is in your heart. And if, and if that's what Jesus means, if Jesus is talking about a person's heart generally, then giving as alms must mean something like devoting to God. Again, think about what you're doing when you give alms. When you give alms, you are giving your money to the service of the Lord. You are giving your money to the Lord's work. And so what Paul or what Jesus is saying here is, is take your heart, take the things that are within and devote it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord's work. It's no longer yours. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. It's the image that, that Calvin used as his own seal. It was his heart offered to God. Calvin regularly said, I am not my own. You may not know this about Calvin, but one of the last things that he wanted to do was to be a minister in Geneva. He was not academic up in some, you know, Eiffel Tower where he was just going to kind of be, you know, some, some um, academic. But then even after he became, he found a ministry that he loved. And when the people came from Geneva and said, we need you back, please return. Uh, Calvin wrote a letter to a friend saying the last thing in the world in Strasbourg. But then he wrote these words. He said, but I know I'm not my own. I know I'm not my own. I've, I've devoted myself to the Lord and I believe this is what he's calling me to and therefore I will go. It's not what I want to do. It's not what makes me happy. It's not what feels good. But I'm not my own. And I will go. As alms, devoting your heart to the Lord, recognizing that you are not your own. But whether you go with the first reading or the second reading, either way, the, the basic lesson is the same. Jesus is exhorting all of those who are listening. He's exhorting this Pharisee. He's exhorting those who are sitting around the table. He's exhorting us through the Luke. He's saying, listen, cleanliness is a matter of the heart. Devote your heart to the Lord. Put away the greed of sacrifice to your God. Because if you devote your heart to Him, if you, will, if you decide will be clean also. All things, everything will be clean. Notice that. Jesus isn't against externals. I've done. You should have tithed. That's good. The externals are good. You should go to church. You should attend. You should volunteer. You should do the work. These you ought to have done without neglecting the first. Jesus isn't against externals. There were those in the first century who said spiritual things, so therefore what you do with your body, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God's not worried about those types of things. I once had a student in my... I just can't believe that that's something God would be interested in. And of course I had to tell him, well, you know, God is interested in all of life. What does Paul 
to the glory of God. God is interested in externals. Externals matter. But mere externals are an abomination if the externals do not flow out of the heart of these sins. Jesus is giving us a picture of faith here. He's telling us what faith looks like. To, to believe in Him, Lord. To, to believe in Him is to receive Him as who He has revealed Himself to be. This morning we, we said that Jesus is a prophet. He reveals to us, in fact, the one true and living God. We recognize that He is the God who loves us. That He is the God who, is, who has come in the flesh to save us. That He is the God. Celebrate as good news the fact that He reigns and we don't. And so we offer our hearts to Him. We say, we'd be a servant in your house than a prince elsewhere. Because you are king and you are good. And so if you're here and you're, and you're struggling and you're like, I don't know if I want to devote my heart. I don't know if I can, I can do that. I have a few externals. I can handle that. But this, this devotion of the whole life thing, that's, that's too much. Go again and again and again back to these glorious truths we've sung, we've, we've heard read. Soak in this Gospel. Remember who this God is. Remember what He's done. Remember how He has demonstrated His love for you beyond all reasonable doubt in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And remember that He now calls you to holiness. He now calls you to obedience because He loves you. And remembering all that, soaking in all that, offer yourself to Him and say, God, I would rather be Your servant than be anywhere else because Your law is perfect. It revives the soul. It's sweeter than honey. I don't obey because I have to earn God's favor I obey because in God's favor, He's given me the blueprint for flourishing. I obey because God has loved me and has shown me the way of life. See, the Pharisees, they were trying to buy God off and and they were trying to do it with these external rituals and God said, I'm not impressed. In fact, I, I hate such things. But if you will devote your heart to me, all things will be cleansed. If you will devote your heart to me, I will conform you more and more and one day perfectly to the image of the glory of my Son. I will make you who you were created to be. I will make you into my child. I will conform you to the image of my beloved Son. And in Him, through Him, you will glorify and enjoy me forever. Because this is what God calls us to. This is why we call it good news. Do you believe that? Pray with me.